0: well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is good to be with you another Friday evening, reflecting into the scriptures for Sunday. In particular, what we do here on Friday evening is focus in on the gospel, the gospel that comes to us from the Sunday readings. Now, as we do this from one week to the next, reflect into the richness of the gospel, I thought before we engage the Gospel text for today, we can take a step back and we can look at what the word itself means, Gospel. Right? I mean, generally speaking, when we think about the word Gospel, we think about that word which means uh, good news, you know, the Evangelion in the Greek, good news. And, and as Pope Emeritus uh, Benedict XVI notes in his first volume of Jesus of Nazareth, While that translation sounds attractive, good news, it falls far short of the order of magnitude of what is actually meant by the word Evangelion. This term, uh, Evangelion, actually figures into the vocabulary of the Roman emperors, huh? who understood themselves as lords, saviors, and redeemers of the world. The messages issued by the emperor were messages that imparted, quote-unquote, good news, regardless of whether or not uh, their content was particularly cheerful and pleasant. And as uh, Benedict XVI makes note, the idea was that what comes from the emperor is a saving message, that it is just not a piece of news, but a change of the world for the better. You know, when the evangelists adopt this word and it thereby becomes the generic name for their writings, what they mean to tell us is this, what the emperors who pretended to be gods illegitimately claim actually occurs here, really occurs here, a message endowed with a sense of plenary authority, a message that is not just talk, but reality, In the vocabulary of contemporary linguistic theory, we would say that the Evangelium, the gospel, is not just informative speech, but performative speech. Not just the imparting of information, but action. Efficacious power that enters into the world to save and transform. So when Mark speaks of the gospel of God, he wishes to make a point and that point is simple. It is not the emperors who can save the world, but God. And it is here that God's word, which is at once word and deed, appears. It is here that what the emperors merely assert, but cannot actually perform, truly takes place. It is the real Lord of the world, the living God, who goes into action. So when we think about the Evangelion, when we think about the good news, what we are then made to see is that it is this transformative action, good news that transforms, that has power, this plenary authority. The core content of this gospel is quite simply the kingdom of God is at hand. This has been a a theme that I've been talking about recently. The kingdom of God is at hand, and it demands our conversion of faith. Repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand. You know, the repent is what? Metanoia. Change of heart. Change of direction. When the gospel has grabbed a hold of you, when it has gripped you, It changes your whole world. It changes the way you think. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you interact. You know if you have been changed by the gospel, if in fact you look at the world around you and you see it differently. You see it in light of Jesus Christ. Repent, metanoia. You've had a change of heart and in that change of heart, You have found a new direction, a new focus, all of which are Jesus Christ. So in light of that, let's take up our gospel for this sixth Sunday of Easter, which has us going back into the gospel of John chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles out there, John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21, the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is verse 15 and follows. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him some beautiful words there from the gospel of john you know here in these verses we have our lord teaching if you love me you will keep my commandments a phrase that could be read indicating that in keeping of the commandments we demonstrate true love for christ that is to say keeping the commandments. Is the way one gives evidence that he or she is really a disciple of Jesus? When you think about it critically, that doesn't really work, huh? You know, one Saint Thomas Aquinas, of course, highlights that that would be a failed interpretation. He simply points out that it is only by grace that we we are able to love God and keep His commandments. If you to go to First John, John's First Epistle, we read. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. In short, my dear friends, we are only able to love because God first loved us. Thomas Aquinas also writes, in light of this, one loves and as a result of this, keeps the commandments. Huh? Essentially, what we are made to see is that God's love is what empowers us. To love him. So that being said, it was after saying this that Jesus goes on to explain how he will give us the counselor, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that we will not be orphans, but have his assistance. If you were to go back to chapter 14, verse 18, what does he say? I will not leave you desolate, I will come to you. The word desolate literally translates as orphans. This would prove to be very important if you were to go back into the Gospel of John and insert these verses that I just read in context. I, I read John chapter 14, verses 15 to 21. If you were to go back into John 13, something is going on here. Uh, the, the sense of loss among the apostles is palpable, as our Lord prepares to take leave of them. I mean, what do we read? (laughs) You know, Peter, Lord, where are you going? And Lord, why can I not follow you now? To this poignant longing, Jesus responds with what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. Then Jesus intensifies the new advocate as the spirit of truth, unknown to the world, but an abiding presence within the disciples. This is not only the foundation of the uh, the trust from the apostles to Jesus, but the foundation of our trust, right? Is this not the foundation stone that we are called to build our faith upon, let us remember something about faith. Faith is first a gift, a gift unmerited, something given to us by God the Father. It is second in act, and that act is trust. Trust is the most concrete act and virtue of faith. Remember what the word faith means. You know, that Wonderful biblical vision of faith. In the Hebrew, you have emunah, right? Faithfulness, firm response. This is what St. Paul is translating in Romans 1.5, in Romans 16.26. This obedience of faith. Literally translated, the obedience that is faith or the obedience that springs from faith. Faithfulness. Faith is always caught up in relationship And every relationship, if it is going to succeed, needs to be built upon what? Trust. And if we develop a living relationship with Jesus Christ, if we develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit, what we have then is the assurance and the confidence we need to do what God asks from us. So he gives us the guidance of the Holy Spirit, this counselor, what does this word mean, by the way? You know, in the Greek, it is perikletos. It has its roots in legal terminology, meaning advocate or, or defense attorney. The paraklete in John is a teacher, a witness to Jesus, and a prosecutor of the world who represents this continued presence on earth of Jesus who has returned to the Father. It might be helpful for us to understand the Greco-Roman courtroom model that this language is probably leaning upon. In such a setting, that is in the Greco-Roman setting, there was no public prosecutor. At a trial, there were only private accusers who would serve as witnesses against the accused. Witnesses for the accused served as advocates. The advocate was the one who defended the accused in a courtroom and interceded for him. So, if you were to go into Scripture, certainly we see how the Bible uses this kind of legal terminology for the devil, right? What does Satan literally mean? The accuser. Hmm? If you are to go into the Old Testament, in Jewish tradition, various figures are associated with the role of advocate. Moses, Michael, God himself, the Logos, the Word of God, and of course, the Holy Spirit. The idea here, my friends, is the gift that Christ gives us in the paraclete is our advocate, our counselor, our defense attorney, one who helps us identify the accuser, that is Satan, and one who defends us against the accuser, that is Satan one can really begin to appreciate the importance of interpreting the biblical te- uh, the biblical text within the historical context huh you've heard me talk about this before when we go to interpret scripture we do so with two senses the literal sense and the spiritual sense the literal sense quite simply is the historical context it is to really get underneath The original intent of the author in the first century, the spiritual sense essentially draws out uh, various interpretations in light of the Holy Spirit. You read the biblical text and it's going to inspire you to do what you ought to do. You've also heard me talk about typology, how the old and new are to be read as one single drama of salvation history. This is another dimension of the spiritual sense. I speak to this because when we go to interpret scripture what is foundational is to really get underneath the intention of the author. And that is the literal sense. Not so much that we read scripture literally as much as we read scripture in the literal sense, and in that I mean the historical context. So and it usually helps us, you know, in this case, the pericletos. I mean, what does that actually mean? Well, as we just talked about, the importance of understanding that this is a term that is a legal term, that our Lord employs a legal term to talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is our defense attorney, right? The Holy Spirit is our lawyer. We don't usually think of it in that context, but in fact, that is what's going on here. There's something else, though. I mean, the coming... Of the Holy Spirit in the Christian community signals the start of a worldwide mission impelling the early Christians beyond their geographic boundaries. If Jesus was advocate during his earthly presence the Spirit now is a new advocate. The presence of Jesus until his return and this advocate is not a stranger, but a guarantee of fidelity to Jesus. For you to go just a few verses later, I read, let's see, from verses 15 to 21. If you were to go to John chapter 14, verse 26, what do we read? The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have sent to you. Again, He adds, that is, our Lord, that the Advocate will testify on His behalf and enable the disciples also to testify. It would help us to recall the uncertainty and fear of the disciples at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. We just talked a little bit about that in John chapter 13. Well, how about the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles? It is with the coming of the Holy Spirit that the apostles, the disciples, are enlightened and emboldened to become witnesses with clarity and courage. Now the advocate will not only be the assurance of faithfulness and the source of bold proclamation, but also the guide into a veiled future. I mean, listen to the words of John here. John chapter 16, verses 12 to 13. I have still many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So here, what you have is this assurance of the presence and guidance of the Holy Spirit that empowers the disciples to move into the future, to meet new challenges in creative ways. Authentic disciples are faithful to the person and message of Jesus, yet they are not trapped in the past. It is the Holy Spirit that enables within us a a sense of adaptation that must always fall within the context of fidelity to the truth, but always mindful of the need to seek new and creative ways to hand on the gospel message. This is what lies at the heart of the church today in her new evangelization. And really, every Christian church When it comes to bringing people to the person of Jesus Christ, we must learn new and creative ways. Sometimes this might come through drama, maybe music, all of the arts, and maybe it's just the way in which you say something, how you engage someone. We must start thinking outside of the box and how we engage our brothers and sisters in Christ who do not believe in Jesus that we may warm them to the gospel message. Now, there's another thing here. You know, The new advocate is not a kind of um, proxy sent to replace the absent God. On the contrary, it assures his presence as well as the Father's. They will come to the one who remains faithful to our Lord's word, and they will dwell with him not with the others, those who do not love the Lord and do not keep his word. The paraclete dwells in everyone who loves Jesus and keeps his commandments. And so his presence is not limited by time. The paraclete is just as present in the modern disciples of Jesus as he was in the first generation. No one should think that Jesus has abandoned his church in our times. You know, we look around us today, the culture of death, which is simply defined by the absence of love, and we say, where is God? If only we had, you know, that gift that they had 2,000 years ago, Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, we do. We do. We have the same gift they had 2000 years ago, Jesus continues to send us the spirit of truth. And what was that line from verse 26 again? <laughs> we are told in the gospel that the one whom the father will send will teach us everything and remind us of all that Jesus has said to us. This reminding or calling to memory is beautifully expressed. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, as it describes the work of the Holy Spirit, go to paragraph 1099, the Holy Spirit is the church's living memory. I love that. The, church, the Holy Spirit is the church's living memory. The Holy Spirit says what? Behold, I make all things new each and every day, Behold, I desire to disclose to you the inexhaustible mystery of God. I mean, for all of this discussion on the gift of the Holy Spirit, what is the Parakletos? Well, we must remember that, in of itself, the essence of the Holy Spirit is the love shared between the Father and the Son. And if you think about this Trinitarian image, what you have then is a beautiful insight into the revelation that is the inexhaustible mystery of God. I love the passage that comes to us from Philippians. It's chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. In Paul's epistle there to the church of Philippi, he says, you know, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, But he emptied himself, he took the form of a slave, and he was obedient unto death, death on a cross. In that series of verses, what you have is a profound insight into the life of the Trinity. And that insight is the nature of love in the life of God, which is utterly sacrificial. The love that is shared between the Father and the Son is agape, the Greek for sacrifice. He pours himself out on the cross because he loves us. And what he reveals to us in that moment is that the gift that he gives us, the Holy Spirit empowers us to better understand what it means to love sacrificially. Because this is the essence of the gift. This is the essence of the Holy Spirit because the essence of the love shared between the Father and the Son is total self-gift. It is this perfect eternal exchange of total self-gift. And when we receive this love, when we receive this counselor, we are then charged to best understand how to live in this world, mindful that in doing so, we will be able to better discern and detect the ways of Satan. Remember what Satan means, the one who accuses. Well, if we are living in the Holy Spirit, we will be able to identify the accuser because the counselor will counsel us into better understanding what that looks like. And so, as this is a gospel passage that is rooted in what it means to love God, and what it means to go deeper into relationship with Jesus in light of this gift that Christ has given us. Let us remember this, that it is always first about being in God. And once we are in God, then we will be formed and informed in what it means to love our neighbor, to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Once we have come to discover the beauty that is the gift of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that he gives us, then the task that is before us, we will comprehend on a deeper level what that task looks like. New identity, new goal. In God, for other, new gift, new task. In other words, when when our goal is understood in light of our identity, and our task in light of the gift, And other in light of God, we begin to put things in their proper place. We begin to see things the way they need to be seen. And that is always, always starting with God. Amen. And so uh, that's a wrap for tonight. But before I go, I wanted to make note that uh, next Thursday, as we wrap up our night on apologetics, I'm going to take kind of the top four or five questions and respond to them collectively. This radio program is hopefully a response to many of your questions, but what I thought we could do is take uh, four or five questions, so if you do have any questions in regards to uh, the Catholic Church or just generally questions about um, Christianity, please don't hesitate to email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or you can... Uh, go to my website at jehovahcraft.org. Go to the contact and send your question uh, there, and it will f- it will find me. So uh, please take time to do that if you have any of those burning questions that you've been wanting to ask. Let us close in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.